Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, it is absolutely my life stage right now, but so many people in my circle are having babies, people younger than me, people older, and it's a really hard transition to experience, to watch your friends experience, and it turns out that Pittsburgh is a uniquely interesting place to go through these big life changes. For Maternal Mental Health Month, we're with someone who helps folks go through these transitions to new parenthood during what can be a really vulnerable time. It's Wednesday, May 24th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. Dr. Rebecca Brent is the program director for women's behavioral health at West Penn Hospital. Welcome, Dr. Brent. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to start. Are you a mother yourself? Kind of what brought you into this work? So I am a mother, um, and certainly I can relate to the parenting challenges. It's often trial by fire. Um, But I actually came into this work from working with children and working with children who were depressed um, in pre-adolescence and realizing that in our study, 100% of the kids' parents struggled with a mood disorder. Would you say that Pittsburgh is a good place to be pregnant or give birth? Well, I will I will say yes. Um, Interestingly enough, um, 2020 Moms and Georgetown University just came out with a big report um, that gave state report cards for maternal mental health. And so the state of the nation is not great. The average grade was a D. Pennsylvania has a C. Um, So it is above average. And the best grade across the country was a B minus. And that was in California. Um, When you look at the different criteria for grading, we do have more perinatal mental health services in the state of Pennsylvania than an average state. So I think it's better than some states, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, speaking from experience, pregnancy is really weird. If all goes well, you spend, what, like eight to 10 months slowly losing all sense of bodily autonomy. Um, You have to make peace with how much is totally out of your control. Um, Then you actually give birth and it's magnified so much. And even if your mind plays ball, your body still has to heal. Um, And it's not a few days. I feel like a lot of us are asked to, you know, really project joy immediately. And it can take a long time for you to really begin to feel like yourself, to find a new identity, all while caring for this brand new person. Um, When you're looking at this stuff in like a clinical setting, what signs do you look for that something might not be okay for a birthing person? Uh, Typically, we tell parents and family members to look out for changes in 
their approach to themselves and other people. So someone who isn't able to sleep when the baby sleeps, um, isn't eating or is eating a lot more, you know, feels like they can't care for themselves or the baby. I I think um, certainly having any thoughts of like, this was a mistake and I can't do this. My baby would be better off without me. Any thoughts about wanting to hurt yourself or the baby would be really alarming. Um, But it's, you know, these perinatal mood and and anxiety disorders are incredibly common in pregnancy and postpartum. And so women... Like how common? uh, Typically, uh, about one in five birthing parents are going to experience a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. And what what kinds of disorders are you talking about? Like, I mean, obviously depression. I feel like we hear about that one a lot. Yeah, actually, we see more anxiety than depression. Um, Okay. So we see perinatal OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, that can look like a lot of repetitive thoughts and worries about something bad happening to your baby or about you doing something bad to your baby, even though you don't want that to happen. Um, But, you know, birthing parents can have these images that pop into their head over and over again and then um, tend to check on the baby a lot or take a lot of measures to make sure that the baby's safe. Um, And sometimes if they're worried, they're going to do something about to the baby. They won't be alone with the baby. Mm -hmm. It can cause a lot of problems in developing a relationship. So we do see a lot of OCD. We see symptoms that are kind of consistent with uh, generalized anxiety disorder. So just to look a lot of worry, irritability, tension, trouble sleeping, Um, We see, sometimes we see postpartum PTSD, sometimes in the context of birth trauma, which is really self-defined. You know, sometimes we see panic attacks um, where birthing parents will have really intense physical symptoms of anxiety and that might wake them from sleep or interrupt their daily activities. And sometimes it doesn't fit into a neat box. So people can have symptoms from multiple categories. How does the treatment maybe differ for someone who experienced any of those things before they became pregnant? Um, You know, I feel like so many of us um, deal with different levels of stress and anxiety just from from our general world. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, the number one risk factor for having a postpartum depression Um, or perinatal mood and anxiety disorder is a prior history. You know, and I think the symptoms of depression really look the same. It's the content, you know, so, you know, it's classic in depression to like have thoughts about um, lower self-esteem of like, I'm not doing well, but, you know, during the perinatal period, it often has to do with parenting. Like I'm not a good mom or I'm never going to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Um, It just, the symptoms of hopelessness and inadequacy and self-blame just transfer to another area of one's life. Yeah. Well, so after pregnancy, how do people usually get diagnosed? Um, Like, what's the triggering mechanism maybe for them to see someone like you or a specialist in your clinic? So I think historically, um, Women and birthing people have been hesitant to reach out for help because they're worried about what the impact is going to be. Are someone going to think I'm not fit to be a mother and they're going to take away my baby? There's so much stigma and shame about feeling like this was a mistake when it's supposed to be the happiest time in your life. And so I think unless we ask, often people aren't going to tell us. 
the literature really suggests that screening women at different points during pregnancy and postpartum gives us the best chance at identifying people who are more at risk or already struggling. So at AHN, one of the first things that we did is set up universal screening. And, you know, for the other percentage, sometimes women are recognizing that they're not feeling like themselves or a family member is recognizing that something seems wrong and they might reach out for help that way. Yeah, it's interesting. So if you do screen positive, then it's on the patient then to say, you know, oh, I do need help to answer that phone call to set up an additional time. Um, it's tough, right, for new parents who may be experiencing um, these things for the first time to also be their own healthcare advocate. Yes. I mean, and I think that's in part why the electronic referral makes it a little bit easier because we reach out to them once we receive the electronic referral. I mean, obviously, sometimes we don't reach people and then people need to call us back. We try to call a couple of times because we recognize how difficult it is, um, you know, and how unpredictable and chaotic that early newborn stage and really that whole first year can be. But I think it's to some extent, yes. I mean, something that I say is like mental health issues are never anyone's fault, but they become our responsibility. And that's really difficult. Do you like to dance, look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm because this is a theme party. You want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend and rest assured every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So what is the treatment option then? Um, you know, say you do screen positive, what happens next? So you would get a phone call from our triage clinician and she would ask um, a lot of questions about what's going on right now and what and describe our services, which are outpatient psychotherapy. So talk therapy, outpatient medication management. Uh, we have a number of different groups um, that run out, um, uh, dialectical behavior therapy, therapy for pregnancy and postpartum, um, Circle of Security, which is an attachment-based reflect, parent reflection program, and we have a mother-baby intensive outpatient program that for individuals with more severe perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, they can come three days a week for three hours at a time. 
um, and focus on their symptoms and their relationship with their baby in a supportive environment. You said medication management. Can you talk more about that? Because I feel like we've heard for a long time that there's a lot of stuff that you're not supposed to take during pregnancy or even later if you breastfeed. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. You know, we used to talk about what's safe to take in pregnancy. And now we talk about what's lower risk because the more recent research has really shown that there are really significant risks to the baby um, and to the mom in pregnancy due to untreated depression and anxiety. And so as well as potential side effects from medication. So with each individual um, that we're treating, we want to try to look at what is the disease and what is the impact of the disease exposure and what's the impact of medication exposure and then choose the lowest risk option. Well, is there anything that you'd recommend then to folks who maybe aren't flagging positive through the screeners but could use some guidance or, I don't know, tips for dealing with stress or caretaking for the first time in their lives? I would say something called the DBT, distress tolerance skills, or the TIP skills. And the reason why I think these are so helpful is because there are a lot of parts of parenting that are incredibly stressful and distressing. And there are many moments that are very beautiful and wonderful too, but, um, you know, the fact that there are moments in parenting that are distressing doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. It just means that it's hard. And so how do you get through some of those really hard moments when your baby's throwing up all night or won't soothe when you're trying to make dinner? <laughs> yep, that sounds familiar. What are those TIP skills? So TIP stands for temperature which really involves using cold water to decrease your physiological activation. So putting your face in a bowl of cold water, putting ice packs on your face, um, actually activates this mammalian dive response and lowers your blood pressure and heart rate pretty quickly. So that's a great skill. It sounds kind of wild, but people really, really like it. Interesting. Okay. Um, I stands for intense exercise, which can be complicated if you're newly postpartum or pregnant and uncomfortable, but it involves um, not like running regularly because it's good for your mood. This is in a moment of an intense distress. You get up and do jumping jacks until you're out of breath (laughs) or you run up and down the stairs. And again, it changes your physiological arousal so that you're um, kind of in a different state and it gets some endorphins moving. Um, And then the two P's stand for paced breathing, which is just controlling your breath so that your inhale is a little bit um, shorter than your exhale. And uh, progressive muscle relaxation involves tensing different muscle groups and then releasing them from your head to your toes. And those two P's um, are awesome. They're really helpful. They work best when you practice them regularly Uh, when you're calm so that you can access them when you're really overwhelmed at a 10 out of 10. I feel like these tips are good for any of us feeling a little extra stress or duress. Oh, yeah. Um, Not just new parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can teach them to toddlers. They're great to, you know, use with kids. With little kids, I take um, those refreezable drink ice cubes, throw them in the freezer. They're like calm down cubes. And they can hold them and calm down. And so there's a lot of ways to adapt it. You know, pace breathing you can do with kids, like um, smell the flower. So like they're breathing in through their nose, blow out the candle. They're breathing out through their mouth. And then it's like, you know, you're really building this skill together and modeling it for your kids. 
I really like those. I'm glad you brought that yeah, up. Thank sure. you. Dr. Brent, thank you so much for your guidance and for your work for birthing people in our community. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. A little more news before you go. Parents want Pittsburgh public schools to push their high school start times. Right now, that's 7.15 in the morning. At a board meeting this week, parents said that that start time is way too early for teenagers, that they basically need to be asleep by 9 p.m. to get the recommended amount of sleep at their age. WESA reports that the board did not answer those calls directly, but that it's a question that Philadelphia is facing too. And even Governor Josh Shapiro got questions about it last week on a visit to Westmoreland County. And Pennsylvania doulas can now access funding to apply for a state certification. If you're not familiar, doulas can act sort of similar to midwives. They give birthing people emotional and physical support before and during childbirth, but they aren't consistently recognized as healthcare providers here in Pennsylvania. So these folks often don't make enough money to make this their full-time job. But certification would allow them to get reimbursed by Medicaid and by health insurance plans, but that certification, of course, costs money. The Pennsylvania Doula Commission is offering $50 scholarships. That's enough to cover the application fee in the hopes that it could help lower the state's maternal mortality rate, especially in communities of color. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, please tell a friend, rate us, leave us a review, and make sure you're subscribed to that Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you soon. Oh, yeah, they're good life dress skills. <laughs> I mean, certainly.